Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here for our study of Revelation, actually for the questions that develop from Revelation, and we're glad that you're here. This is actually session number 28 that we've been through, either in Revelation or about the questions, and we are glad that you're here. So let's pray together. I want to welcome all of you and those joining us online as well. Looking forward to our study tonight. Let's pray together, and we'll get started. Father, thank you tonight for your word, for how it is inerrant, infallible. It is authority and truth. And so, Father, as we read through it tonight, I just pray that you would teach us everything that you want us to know. God, just give us insight and wisdom concerning not just the end times, but, but truth and what we need to be doing and how we need to be living. Father, I just thank you for uh, those who are here, those who are joining us online. God, just week after week on Wednesdays, your presence is here teaching us, and we're thankful for that. Guide us tonight in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we're going to read a, a lot of uh, verses tonight, so turn with me, Ezekiel 38 and 39, primarily the two verses, that, two chapters that we'll be reading through. And so uh, we're looking at questions that have been followed up from our Revelation study uh, that people have asked or that have come up or that I've had, or, and we're looking at that these Wednesdays, and we'll do it two more Wednesdays after tonight. We'll go through November the 30th, and so then after that, uh, we'll be in Israel, a lot of us will, uh, f- four weeks from tonight on uh, d- uh, December the 7th. Uh, we'll actually be on a plane right now heading that way. Uh, and Brother Tim, our associate pastor, he'll be, be uh, teaching two Wednesday nights in a row. And then in January, after that, we will on Wednesday nights, starting January the 11th, we'll start looking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, at the book of Zechariah, which is the Old Testament uh, revelation. And so I think that you'll find it interesting, having studied Revelation, go back to Zechariah now, the Old Testament uh, prophecies and, and ha- of the end times of Christ's coming. I think that you'll find that to be very interesting now. So we'll start that on, on Zechariah, verse by verse, on January the 11th. Tonight, and for two more Wednesdays, we're going to look at follow-up questions from Revelation. And tonight, we're looking at the question, what or who are Gog and Magog in Revelation. As we're going through Revelation, we came to chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, and it talked about in the end time that there would be armies that come from the north, a coalition of them, come from the north, and, and they'll attack Israel, they'll be defeated, and after that will be the final judgment. And so you're thinking, who are these armies? Uh, where are they from? And the, the chapter says, in chapter 20, verse 7 and 8, says they are Gog and Magog. But it doesn't give any explanation. It goes on. And then the world ends. So there have been a lot of questions, who are Gog and Magog? And, and so if you've done any kind of study, uh, or Bible prophecies or, or anything like that, you'll see that it's a reference back to the Old Testament, Ezekiel 38 and 39. So I want us to look at that passage first tonight that we'll read. Ezekiel 38 and 39 prophesied that there would be a Gog and Magog that would be coming. Well, if you listen to preachers of end times or websites or books or podcasts or anything like that, they just assume that it's Russia. They're from the north. What's north of Jerusalem? pretty much Russia. And so that's the assumption. So why is that assumed? And then sometimes you'll hear preachers of end times get very cryptic about, oh, Gog and Magog. And you're going, I'm not certain it's necessarily cryptic. It's just difficult to understand. And so tonight, 
let's look through a little further because at the time we're reading through Revelation 20, we didn't have time to stop and talk about it because it's really an entire study of its own. So tonight we're going to look at that. Uh, who is Gog and Magog? Why do we think it may be Russia? What part would Russia play in the end times? Uh, and why is that mentioned in chapter 20 of Revelation with no explanation? Uh, and then in Ezekiel 38 and 39, Ezekiel's prophesying about it as well. So let's look. The most common interpretations of Gog and Magog are Russia. And so we're going to look, is this accurate? What does the Bible say and why Russia of all of them? But before I get into that, I do want to say these are difficult passages to interpret. It's not just cut and dried that it's Russia. Very well could be, uh, but I think we need to look at other interpretations uh, and see. It's not necessarily that cut and dried because remember from our Revelation study, we eisegete, I mean we exegete, we don't eisegete, remember? Exegete is drawing out what's in the text, eisegete's reading into something in the text, and so we're not going to read into these passages, we're going to draw out from them and see, and then take a look and see who, who could this be and why is it mentioned the way that it is. So let's start, first of all, letter A on your outline. Gog and Magog are mentioned four, in four passages in the Bible. So I want to look at these passages, but we're going we're gonna to center in on, on Ezekiel 38 and 39. But the very first time Gog or Magog are mentioned is in Genesis 10-2. Now you don't need to turn there, it's just a genealogy, so I'll, I'll mention it to you. Genesis doesn't say anything about Gog, but it does talk about Magog. Now, historically, Gog has been the man, the leader, and Magog has been his country, Gog of Magog. So a Russian leader from Russia is how most of the time it's interpreted, will at the end times come and attack Israel. But Gog is not mentioned in Genesis, but Magog is. Magog is the name of Noah's grandson. So you're going, okay, it's later known as a land, but it begins by being known as somebody's name, the grandson of Noah. And here's what Genesis 2.10 says. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. And that's what Genesis 2, 10, 10, 1 and 2 says. What does the word Magog mean? It means skilled warrior. Okay, so now we're talking about a person, but later it becomes a land. So the very first time it was after the flood, to Noah's son Japheth was born a man named Magog. So that's the first time that it's mentioned. Second passage, let's go to 1 Chronicles 5, 4. There's no need turning there either. It's word for word from Genesis. Adds a kind of another twist to it. Now there's a reference in Chronicles 5, 4 to Gog and Magog. Magog appears in 1 Chronicles 1, 5 because it's a word-for-word -word repeating of Jephthah's sons, Noah's grandsons. And then once that ends, that's the last time we hear of it until it's mentioned in Ezekiel and then mentioned in Revelation of the name Gog. But now Magog. Gog appears a few chapters later in chapter 5, verse 4 of Chronicles. 
in a detailed genealogy of Jacob's sons, the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, listing the families of Reuben. 1 Chronicles 5.4 says this, quote, The sons of Joel were Shemaiah, his son, Gog, his son, Shemaiah, his son. So, according to this verse, Gog was a grandson of somebody named Joel. Wouldn't be Joel the prophet. He came hundreds of years later. We don't know who Joel is. So, Joel was a descendant of Reuben, the son of Jacob. So, it's getting confusing, isn't it? So, we got Magog as a grandson of Noah. And now you have Gog, who is in the lineage of Reuben. So, that's kind of the background to it all. Gagog, or Gagog, Gog and Magog um, lived hundreds of years apart. If you take one lineage from Genesis, one lineage that's listed in Chronicles, you got Gog and Magog hundreds of years apart, so they're not connected. But every time in Scripture after that, you see Gog and Magog together. Why? They lived hundreds of years apart. So we really don't know. Now let's go to Ezekiel 38 and 39. And this is what I'm going to read. It's a lot of, lot of verses, about 43 verses that we'll be reading tonight. So if you're online, get your device. If you're here with us, uh, your advice, your Bible. And I want us to read through, and I want you to listen carefully because there's a prophecy against Gog and Magog in verse ch chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. Here's the background is God's people are in exile. Ezekiel is preaching to them while they're in exile, and he's giving them hope. And he's saying, one of these days, you're sitting here in exile now, one of these days God is going to return you to your country, to your land of Israel. And you're going to be attacked by countries from the north, Gog of Magog. And they're going to come in and attack, but God's going to defeat them, and you're going to survive. So that's the prophecy. So now let's read what Ezekiel said, chapter 38, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward, whenever he says set your face toward, it means judgment's coming against them. Set your face toward Gog, the land of, uh, of the land of Magog, the chief prince. So Gog is a man, he's a prince, and Magog's the country. The chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. The, the name Gog, in Hebrew, originally is Rosh, R-O-S-H, very common word in Hebrew, from which the old root for Rosh is Russia. So, the old word is, that's where Russia's name came from, the old word of Rosh. So, that's the name for Gog. The land of Magog, uh, Meshach was the capital of western Russia, the capital there called Meshach, Tubal became Siberia. So you can kind of see where Russia starts to play a part in the thinking of Gog, Magog, Meshach, Tubal. It's, it's Russian names. There became Russian names later on. So verse uh, 2, And prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, 
chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, verse 4, I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Verse 5, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, bet to Garma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Many peoples are with you. Stop. Hold on for a second. <clears throat> Let's get a picture. So a land from the north is going to attack Israel. And with that land from the north will be hordes of people, other nations. Who are these nations? Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer. Who are those today? Persia is Iran, as you know. Cush is Ethiopia, Central African countries. Uh, put, Northern African countries. Gomer, we don't really know for certain. It's interesting, there was a, there's a theory that their descendants settled in Germany. Uh, and then Bet Togomar is Asia, became Asia Minor or Turkey. So it looks like this country from the north is going to have a coalition of other nations from northern and central Africa and the Arab countries that joined them. So it looks like in 38, Arab and African coalition will join a northern country and attack Israel. So is that the, the Arab countries and Africa joining with Russia and coming down to attack? That's how a lot of people interpret what's just been read here. Verse 7. <clears throat> Be ready and keep ready. You and all your hosts that are assembled about you and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter days you will go against the land that is restored from war. So is latter days when Israel returns home in the Old Testament or the end times? That's what we don't know. In the latter days, you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. Verse 9, you will advance coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. So as this coalition of armies marching toward Israel, they're going to be such a vast horde, It'll kick up dust like a storm's coming in. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates. Talking about Israel. To seize spoil and carry off plunder to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell at the center of the earth Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you have you come to see spoil have you assembled your hosts to carry off plunder to carry away silver and gold to take away livestock and goods to seize great spoil so what we're seeing so far through verse first 13 verses this coalition of armies is going to come against an unsuspecting Israel. But it's going to be the wrong move. Verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, 
Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know of it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. Verse 16, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land and that nations may know me when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Verse 17. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? So now it sounds like he's talking about the end times. He's talking about the prophets who prophesied in the former days, which would be Ezekiel. It gets confusing, but now it looks like the end times. Verse 18, but on that day, the day that God shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord your God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Remember in our, in our Revelation study that, that the armies come from the north. They're just about to take Israel. Jesus returns and a great earthquake destroys the city of Babylon. Remember that? That's what he's talking about. Verse 20, the fish of the sea... The birds of the heavens and of the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. Sounds like second coming. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs fall. Every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog. On all my mountains, declares the Lord God, every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him and I will reign upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. Now, a lot of theologians believe this sounds like a nuclear attack. The fire, the sulfur, the brimstone, the hailstones, because it's repeated again in Revelation 20. Verse 23, so I'll show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So it sounds like for 38 of Ezekiel is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in Revelation at the very end time. But it also sounds like something's going to happen immediately in Ezekiel's day. The question. When historically did this happen? It hasn't. Never happened. Ezekiel is telling Israel, you're going to be invaded from the north. And Russia never has. The northern countries have never. So if you're reading this historically from Ezekiel's perspective, what he prophesied never happened. So it has to be in times, right? If it hasn't happened yet, it has to be in the latter days. Let's go to chapter 39. We'll read all of it. We'll read the first portion of it. Let's go through, um, let's go through 24. Verse 1 of 39. 
And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. It doesn't say Magog. And I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and will make arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Verse 5. You shall fall in the open field. For I've spoken, declares the Lord, I will send fire on Magog, that's the land, on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know I'm the Lord. Verse 7. And my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will let my holy name be profaned anymore. I will not let my name be profaned anymore. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming. It will be brought about, declares the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. Verse 9. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, clubs and spears. They will make fires of them for seven years. Sounds like the tribulation of them. So they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any of the forests, for they will make their fires of the weapons. They will seize the spoil of those who despoil them and plunder those who plunder them, declares the Lord. Verse 11. On that day, listen carefully. On that day, I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of travelers east of the sea. It will block the travelers, for there Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the Valley of Haman, Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel would be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them and will bring them renown on the land that I will show my, my glory, declares the Lord God. Verse 14. They will set apart men to travel through the land regularly and bury those travelers remaining on the face of the land so to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they'll make their search. And when those travel through the land and anyone sees a human bone, then he shall set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman, Gog. Hamanoah is also the name of the city. This shall cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, verse 17, thus says the Lord, speak to the birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field. Assemble and come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast I'm preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood. That's a direct quote from what we studied in Revelation. Verse 18, you shall eat of the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, rams, lambs, he goats, bulls, all of them, the fat beast of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you're filled and drink blood till you're drunk at the sacrificial feast I'm preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. Now, we'll stop there. It sounds like Ezekiel's talking about something that's going to happen immediately once they get back to the land and something that's going to happen at the end times. The only, as I mentioned, the only problem, it never happened historically. So, 
Could it be that the names that are mentioned here are symbolic since it hadn't happened before? Is it any group that opposes God or opposes Israel? Could that be the meaning? Because the word Magog just means skilled warrior, remember, and Gog could mean barbarians from the north. So there's some theologians that believe, since it never happened historically with Russia, it could mean any group from the north that comes in, not necessarily just the Russians. So now let's go to Revelation to the, to the next time this story is mentioned. Briefly read chapter 20, verses 7 and 8 again. And then let's answer questions. Chapter 20 of Revelation, we looked at this just a few weeks ago, verse 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their, excuse me, their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur. There's that phrase again. Where the beast and the false prophets were. And they will be tormented day and night forever. So, let's look at both the Ezekiel prophecy and the Revelation prophecy. Are they identical? Yes and no. They're similar. Let's look at the similarities. Four of them. In both the Ezekiel passage and the Revelation passage, armies of vast hordes will come over a large portion of the earth and attack Israel. In Ezekiel and Revelation both. Secondly, both armies from Ezekiel and Revelation will go out to destroy Israel as God's people. It'll be their goal, and they'll fail. Third similarity, both armies in Ezekiel and Revelation will end up being destroyed by fire and brimstone. Both. That's kind of interesting phraseology, that both will be destroyed by fire and brimstone. And both Ezekiel and in Revelation, the armies coming against Israel will both be at a time of judgment. So since this never happened historically in Ezekiel's time, could it be a generic battle of good versus evil or God against Satan of any group? That's possible. But there are differences in the two, four of them. First of all, in Ezekiel passage, the armies came primarily from the north. And they involved a few other nations. In Revelation, the armies involve all the nations. And they come from all directions. Little difference. Second difference. In Ezekiel, there's no mention of Satan. In Revelation 20, he's the primary character. So, Satan's never mentioned in Ezekiel 38 or 39 third difference in Ezekiel 38 and 39 the dead will be buried for seven months if this battle is the same as the revelation battle why do you need to bury the dead the world ends 
Why bury them? Because in Revelation, as soon as Israel, uh, 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 Russia, the, the northern kingdoms are defeated, immediately the great white throne judgment, the earth is destroyed. So why do you need to bury them for seven months? So it, it's, there's a difference. It doesn't sound like the same battle there, does it? Unless the battle takes place before the millennium, which there will be another 1,000-year reign in Revelation. So it's possible it's the same battle, but it just happens before the millennium. And the chronology is a little off in Revelation 20. Possible. Here's the fourth difference. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, the battle is used to bring God's people back to himself. Remember, I read that. The reason I am sending this nation against you so all the nations will know I'm the Lord and you will come back to me. In Revelation, the battle is not so people will repent. There's no time to repent. It's over. World's ends. And in the millennium, there's no repentance. So... The motive seems to be different. So that's what's kind of confused scholars through the years. Yeah, Revelation, I mean, Ezekiel 38 and 39 sounds similar, but not exactly. So could it be Russia? Or could it be that Magog is just a symbol for nations. So let's go to letter B on your outline. Nations are places or people. Some theologians say Gog and Magog are nations. Most Christians believe that. Um, Russia, so we primarily say. Some believe they're places. Gog and Magog are locations, not necessarily a nation. And some say they're people. Gog's a person, Magog's a person. So, historically, the Christian view is that Gog and Magog are nations, not individuals or places or generic forces. Here are other interpretations other than Russia of who Gog and Magog could have been, historically. Some see Gog and Magog as the Vikings who came in. In fact, that's the Muslim interpretation. Muslims believe Gog and Magog from the Bible are with the Viking invasion. Some believe they were the Huns, some the Khazars, some the Mongols. Others say just nomads that came from the north. But here's another interesting interpretation. Go back in the Old Testament. You remember when Israel divided into northern kingdom and southern kingdom, north and south, had the civil war? Southern kingdom lasted longer than the northern kingdom, remember? Northern kingdom had ten tribes, and the southern kingdom had two tribes. So the southern kingdom, Judah primarily, remained. And if you remember, the ten tribes of the north never came back. They're called the lost tribes of Israel. They assimilated into all the other nations of the world. And even today, the ten northern tribes have never reassembled. Those that have come back to Israel primarily today are from Judah. Ten tribes of Israel are still lost. So, there's one theory out there that says the invaders from the north are the ten lost tribes of Israel will, will reconvene and attack from the north. The north meaning the northern kingdom. Yeah, 
we don't know, but I wanted you to know that's the interpretations out there. Some people believe it's the ten lost tribes of Israel that's going to reconvene at the end times, not Russia at all, and will attack. Again, we don't know that, but the interpretations out there. Um, Russians themselves, some of them see themselves as Gog and Magog. Did you know that? Some Russians believe we're Gog and Magog. Not all of them, but some do. Ronald Reagan referred to Russia and said, quote, Your ancestors have been found in the Bible. So Ronald Reagan interpreted Gog and Magog to be Russia. George Bush, 2003, supposedly told French President Chirac at the invasion of Iraq in 2003, quote, Gog and Magog are at work in the Middle East and we need to take care of them. Did he say that? Later on, he denied it. Um, his team denied it. They asked French officials and Chirac said, I, I never heard that. But there are others who said that he did say that. So his interpretation, if he said that, was that Gog and Magog are Russia. That's probably the most common interpretation. But again, that's not the only one that you'll, you'll see or you'll hear. So go to summary and we'll close. Because it's been very confusing. I know. Let's, let's summarize and let's close. <clears throat> We're really uncertain, just to summarize, as to who Gog and Magog are and how it's all going to play out. Jews believe, of course they don't believe in Jesus as Messiah, they believe that an army from the north will invade, they believe it to be Russia, and they believe that whenever the army from the north invades, at that time a Messiah will step up, defeat them, and that will usher in the age of the Messiah. But the Messiah has not come, according to the Jews, but he will come at that day to defeat Russia. That's how Jews interpret it. Of course, we know the Messiah has already come, and he will come a second time in the person who is Jesus Christ at that time. Interestingly, Alexander the Great read this passage, and he decided he was going to build some gates to stop Russia. He thought it was Russia. So he supposedly built the legendary gates of Alexander. That one day, he thought, whenever Russia starts to invade Israel, he would have some gates where he could stop them. So supposedly, in the Caucasus Mountains, at the Pass of Derbent, Russia, and the Pass of Dariel, he put up gates. Now, that's never been confirmed. It's legendary. But uh, the gates became legendary in medieval literature. Uh, in Alexander Romance literature, the gates in the 7th century were there. Uh, so it's in literature, but I don't think they've ever necessarily been found. But Alexander the Great read about this and decided, okay, I'm going to put up some gates. And when they start marching down from the north, I'm going to stop them. But again, we don't know if that ever happened or not. Most modern interpretations, as I said, believe it's Russia. Some believe the Allies could be a, an African a, a Arab coalition. Others believe the coalition is going to be Iran primarily because Persia is mentioned. Others believe it's going to be China. It would be a Russia-China coalition that comes against, um, against Israel at the final time. We don't really know for certain. Those are the most common interpretations. One last thing before we close. Where's the U.S.? 
Where in all of our study of Revelation did we see the United States? They're not there. Do you see them anywhere? There's one reference to an eagle at one time that comes in to help Israel. One small reference that we covered. Is the eagle our symbol of America? Is that us? Yeah, some say yes. Some say it's a little bit of eisegesis there to interpret that. But we're really not mentioned anywhere. And so Bible scholars are kind of scratching their heads on that too, saying, so by the time of the end times, will America not even be a player anymore? Or will America just be not taking a stand for Israel? You could kind of see that, couldn't you? So therefore, they're just included in all the nations that gather, that come against them. The nations nobody's mentioned specifically. That's possible, I guess. But it's kind of odd that you read through Revelation all the end times and you don't see any place that America is in there. You don't know what to make of it other than it's just interesting to note. Well, that's, uh, that's all I know about Gog and Magog. So there's still a lot of things to scratch your heads on, but it's very interesting to look at the Ezekiel passage, Revelation passage, and why specifically did God mention in Revelation Gog and Magog? It had to be something to it concerning the Ezekiel passage. All right, if you have further questions or comments, please see me afterwards or email me. I'm always glad to hear from you. We'll look at some more questions that arose from Revelation. We didn't get time to look at it in the study. We'll do that for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll wrap up. Let's pray together, and we'll close. Father, thank you again uh, as we look at Scripture. Although we don't have all the answers and don't know everything, God, what we do know is that Jesus is victorious. You always act on behalf of your people. You never leave your people. You never forsake us. And Father, for that, we are eternally grateful tonight. And so I just pray that even this week, as we walk with you, you would go with us. God, may your plan unfold for our lives as it does the world, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday.